For those that are remaining in the auditorium and watching online, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. As we've mentioned in our walk through Romans, Paul is writing to a congregation or congregations. He's writing to Christians in Rome, uh, the majority of whom are probably Gentile since the Jewish uh, population had been expelled from the city of Rome and only recently let back in. Yet there was a substantial Jewish population as well, and their understanding of justification and sanctification is certainly impacting the Christian community there in Rome. And so as Paul writes to them, he wants to let them know that their ethnicity, their culture, their being Jewish, is not what makes them right with God. It is not what gives them right standing with God, nor maintains that relationship with God. It is through Christ and Christ alone. And for those Gentile Christians that have been influenced through the synagogues and through the um, interactions with these Jewish Christians, he wants to remind them as well that it is not according to the law that they are made right with God, nor is it then according to the law that they are continually set apart unto God, but it is through Christ and Christ alone. He has been building this case throughout this letter. And then as he comes to chapter 8, which arguably may be the greatest chapter in Romans, perhaps the greatest chapter in the New Testament and maybe all of Scripture, he has shown us, right out of the gate in verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a, what a life-altering, life-transforming, um, fear-soothing truth. We ought to let that sink deeply and richly down into our souls. And he unpacks then for us some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that, that remind us of this and make this possible, that regenerate us and enliven us through Christ. And now he comes to what may be a little bit of realism, if I can put it that way. There is a gap. There's a gap between what we know is real, what we know is coming, and yet what we are currently experiencing. And it is to that that Paul wants to draw our attention. How many here this morning or watching a line would say that this last year and a bit has been amazing? Best year ever, 2020, mark it down, loved it, would love to keep doing it. If we could have 2020 for the rest of our lives, that would be sublime. Anybody? All right. We know something's not right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And perhaps those of us that are recipients of the light have a more deeper understanding of the darkness than even those who do not. The gap between what is and what ought to be is greater in our minds because we know what ought to be. And so right out of the gate in verse 18, Paul is going to give us the truth, the indicative, the thing that we can hang on to, cling to, especially in times of suffering. So follow along if you would as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
But because of him who subjected it, God, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes with the saints according to the will of God. For, and we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God. The title for the sermon this morning is Glory. And I want us to focus on that because that is the focus of this section that Paul has for us. He begins with glory in verse 18 and ends with glory in verse 30. This thought that he has winding throughout this section is this reality of the glory that is yet to come. The glory that we are privileged to see in part and to participate in part, but the glory in particular that is coming. So Paul begins with this truth. What is happening right now as hard and as difficult as it may seem, will not be a topic of conversation in glory. What we are currently experiencing will not come up around the water cooler in the new heavens and the new earth. The depth of pain and suffering that we experience right now pales so exponentially largely in contrast to the overwhelming glory that is coming that we, we're just overwhelmed with this reality. And we ought to be. This, we know, is not what should be. And there are those that don't know that this isn't what it should be, and they think this is what should be, or this is all there is, and so they go about their lives, I guess we party hard and then we die, or we're in despair, and so we will go from there. But we know that there is better coming. There was better in Eden, and there is better coming. And again, this glory that we are talking about is not a white robe and a harp and Philly cream cheese. What we're talking about is a new heaven and a new earth. We have existentialized the reality of our future, and what we're looking forward to is not floating in the clouds. What we're looking forward to is to be on this planet, remade by God as it used to be, holy and perfect, that the God of glory made a whole universe to display his glory and a whole planet just for us, and we screwed it up, but he's going to make it new. That's what we're hoping for, and the glory of that new creation is so overwhelmingly powerful that the present pales in comparison to that. It won't even be mentioned in glory. 
It's been hard, Grace Baptist. We all know that. But it will soon be forgotten because of what is coming. A glorious hope that we have. Paul is not a rose-colored glasses optimist. He's not a glass half full all the time type of guy. He realizes that we're caught in the in-between. Yes, this is the truth, and we can hang our hats on this. We can cling to this and ought to in all times. Whatever we're going through is, frankly, nothing compared to what's coming. But... It's hard right now. And so he says that we are awaiting glory. Glory is awaited. And he personifies creation. He anthropomorphizes the non-human elements of creation to say, creation itself is looking for something better. Through all of the typhoons and hurricanes and thunderstorms and tsunamis and floods and famine and all of the things and predator-prey relationships and diseases and pestilence and all of these things, creation is groaning. It understands, almost Paul is saying in a personification way, that this isn't right. It was made perfect and we messed it up and it's getting worse. But creation knows that something better is coming. And notice what he says there, with eager longing. The word in the Greek is to crane your neck. Have you ever seen a kid who's at a, a, a parade and maybe they didn't, his parents didn't get there in time and so he's not right in the front row. So there's people in front of him and he can't see all the floats and he's up on his tiptoes and he's craning his neck to see what's coming, what floats coming, I can't see, I can't. This is what creation is doing. It's eagerly longing for, anticipating. When will the sons of glory be revealed? When is that going to happen? It's waiting for something better. It knows that something better is coming. It knows that the glorious is on its way. It knows that this decay and entropy and chaos and destruction is not the final word. It's not how it's going to end. But there is something glorious coming. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't sign up for this. But God subjected it to futility because of sin and hope that it would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of children of God. For we know the whole creation was grown together in the pains of childbirth until now. Notice that the pain here is not a despairing pain, but it is a pain that does eventually end in life. Childbirth pains, labor pains are excruciating. I have been told. But through all of those pains, the contractions and all of the things, at the end of that comes life. There is hope. This is the pain that creation is going through. It is not a pain of defeatism. It is the pain of glory. Glory's coming. Better is coming. And creation feels it. Paul then goes on to say, we groan in verse 23. And not just creation, he says. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Of all people on the earth, we have been blessed to have the third member of the Trinity present in us. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of what's coming. We get a little glimpse. He is in us, transforming us to be kind instead of harsh, to be forgiving instead of holding grudges. To be loving instead of being hateful. The Holy Spirit in us shows us what can be and what will be. 
And so of all people, we struggle even more. Because if the belief is this is the best it gets and it's all going to end in a fireball one day, then really where is the hope? What are we looking forward to? But we know there's better because we're currently experiencing better. <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit of God in us that is saying it's not always going to be like this. Better is coming. And because of that, we groan. As I said, perhaps even more than those who are still in darkness. We who are in the light, we see what is going on in society. They're chasing all kinds of things to find utopia. They're chasing all the non-God things to try to avoid God, deny God, run away from God. And the only one who can give glory is God who is glory. And so we groan. We groan in ourselves because we know already this week we've sinned, and perhaps even this morning before we came here we've sinned already. Where it's not what it should be. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said, I thank God that although I am not who I ought to be, I am not who I want to be, and I am not yet who I will be. By God's grace, I'm not who I used to be. And we know this. And Paul says we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the, the redemption of our body. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. But if I can put it similarly, it's, it hasn't been finalized yet in the sense that we haven't received the full redemption of our bodies. We have been justified, declared legally righteous, saved from the penalty of sin, and we've celebrated that here this morning. We are being sanctified, set apart unto God, being gradually saved from sin's power. But one day, one blessed day that is as real as today, even more real because our minds will be even more open. We will be saved from sin's presence. It's going to be better. And so therefore we do two things, Paul says. We hope and we wait. For in this hope, he says, we were saved. We were saved because we knew that we were sinners, that we're not who we ought to be. We have offended a thrice holy God by our rebellion and sin, and the only hope we have is in him through Christ by the Spirit. And then the hope that we have is as Jesus Christ rose again to life from the dead in his resurrection, glorious body, as the disciples were privileged to see his resurrection body and as Peter and James and John caught a glimpse of his transfigured body on that mountain of transfiguration, that the glory is also coming to us. We have hope of this. And this is not a blind hope, uh, eh, I hope so, this is a settled reality. It's not yet, but it is coming. This is not something that we're just sort of eh, hoping against hope, maybe things will get better. No, we know things are going to be better. This is a solid, settled reality for us. We don't see it yet, but it's not like it's, it's an impossibility. We know that God is at work. We can see him at work. And so he says we wait for it with patience. Now, this waiting is not sitting around twiddling our thumbs. If you knew that at 6 p.m. tonight, royalty was going to show up, uh, a, a, a guest that you had invited, you would not just sit around waiting as the dust bunnies piled up and the dishes in the dirty side of the sink were there. There's a lot of activity as you wait, as it is with us. But we wait with patience. We know that as bad as it gets, it's never going to be as bad as it's going to be good in glory. The glory that is coming so far outweighs the bad that is or will be that it's not even worth comparing. That is our hope. That is the reality. 
And yet I love these next verses, this glorious intercession in the third place. Paul understands he gets this. He knows how hard it is. He says, for to me, Christ, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He, he understands that push and that pull. And so he says in verses 26 and 27, the Spirit intercedes for us. I don't know if you've ever considered this before because we think of God's intercession for us. We oftentimes think of what we're going to see in verse 34 next week, which is Jesus interceding for us. So Christ is at God's right hand as our advocate, proving to uh, anybody who's accusing us, in particular perhaps Satan, that we are in fact righteous. He is our advocate of our justification. Christ is proof that we are righteous because his righteousness is on us and the penalty for our sins is on him. But did you know that you have an intercessor in your sanctification? And that's the Holy Spirit. He intercedes for us in the here and now. Notice what it says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know how to pray. Paul says, I had a thorn in the flesh. We believe it may have been his eyesight, something to do with that based on what he says in Galatians and other places, but we don't know. But Paul had this. And he sought God three times that it would be removed. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Anybody in this morning or watching online ever ask God the question, why? Have we not all done that? How do I even pray in this situation? The Spirit takes those groanings and he prays for us. He communicates to the Father on our behalf. We don't even know, do I pray that this is removed from my life? Do I pray that, that God will do something through this? How do I even pray in this circumstance? The Holy Spirit helps us in that. He intercedes for us with groanings that are not even able to be verbalized. And God the Father is the one who searches hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the inner Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you know that God talks to God on your behalf? That God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are communicating on your behalf in and through every situation that God knows the reason why it's there and you don't. And God knows that. God is not unkind to his servants. He understands that of the multiplied trillions of things that are happening every nanosecond in our universe, we're only aware of maybe three of them and two of those vaguely, as Piper says. We don't know what's going on. We don't even know how we should pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And now he comes to verses 28 through 30, the certainty of glory. Theologians call this the golden chain of redemption. There are five things that happen in succession here to those who are gods through Christ. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Our issue with this verse is how we translate the word good. And we know that all things work together for our comfort at all times to those who are called into his purpose. That's how we translate it oftentimes. And we know that all things work together for the job promotion that I really, really want according to God's purpose. And we know that all things work together for me to get more stuff according to God's purpose. 
Be careful how you translate the word good. The good there is translated for us in this passage. It's not left for us to decide what the good is. In the first place, whose purpose have we been called according to? God's. They've been called according to his purpose. You're not in control. You never were. And thank God that that's a reality. (laughs) It's his purpose that things are working according to. That's the good. And what is that purpose, verse 29? The purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son. God will frequently bring us to the place where he is all we have to remind us that he is all we need. God will frequently bring us to the place where he is all we have so that we will be reminded yet again that he is all we need. Everything happens according to his purpose with the end goal in mind that you and I, who are his, if you are his this morning, will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That the idolatry that you still have resident within you will be eliminated. That the gods that you are clinging to, the gods that you are trusting in, the lies that you are believing will systematically be removed from your heart and from your life so that you more evidence the character of God in you, that you more look like your elder brother, Jesus Christ. And what was God's plan for Jesus Christ? A central reality of that plan was crucifixion. So why in the world do we believe that God's central key plan for us is our comfort? He has our good in mind, but rarely do we agree with God on that definition. But we should. Because from whose hand are these things coming? Notice these things. For those whom he foreknew. Now the word here can mean to know about something ahead of time. For instance, you could have known that the score of last night's hockey game was 5-1 for the Toronto Maple Leafs before you watched the game. So you'd already know before you watched the game that the Leafs spanked the Canadians 5-1. So you'd already know that before you watched the game. That could be what it means to foreknow something. But here, that's not what the word means. It means to love beforehand. The knowing here is similar to the Old Testament where in the King James Version you said that a husband would know his wife and vice versa. 1 Peter 1.20 says that God foreknew Jesus. There's a love that God has that is outside of time. Did you know that you were loved before anything existed? Have you sat in the truth that God loved you before he ever said, let there be light? He not only knew about you ahead of time, as in he had knowledge of you through his omniscience, No, he loved you. He knew you in a relational, intimate way before he ever spoke anything into existence. You were loved before time. Which means then that God planned everything before time. What does he say? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that might be the firstborn among many brothers. Left to ourselves because of our sin nature, we would reject God. 
and yet because of Christ's suffering, God gives him sons and daughters, gives him a bride, the church, gives him us. And so before ever anything was created, God predestined that those who are his would be conformed to the image of his son. God had a purpose for your life before he created anything, and that purpose will come to pass. And does that purpose include mono, pneumonia, gallbladder removal, and sleep apnea all at the same time in my life? Yes. Did I appreciate it at the time? Probably not. But the reality is, did that, did God go, ah, stink. Yeah, I looked away for five minutes, and that Eastwood kid gets sick again. Is that what was going on? No. There is nothing meaningless because of God. Nothing lacks purpose or significance because of the Almighty. Everything is planned. Everything has purpose. Everything has significance and meaning. We were loved before time. God planned everything out before time. And so in time, we were called. He says in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Perhaps you can recall to mind even this morning that time when that glorious call came. And God opened your eyes, opened your mind to see the truth about yourself and him. That calling comes in time. Just as sure as his foreloving of you and his predestining of you to be made like his son Jesus Christ, just as sure as that was before he ever created, so sure is that in time those whom he called he also justified, declared righteous, and then notice at the end, and those whom he justified he also glorified same tense, your glorification and my glorification, if we are in Christ this morning, is as sure as your justification. Amen. This is not then something that is sort of pie in the sky by and by. I hope I'm, I, I, no, this is sure. In God's mind, those that he has declared legally righteous, he is also going to make fully righteous. It's a done deal. Everything fulfills God's plan. We were loved before time. God planned everything before time. We were called in God's perfect time. We were justified in God's perfect time. And we will be glorified in God's perfect time. Grace Baptist Church and all those that are watching online, I pray that this truth from verse 18 all the way through filters down to the deepest part of you. We have majored on a lot of minors during this season. I don't like this. Great, join the line. Nobody does. But what's the reality here? No matter what happens in this life, what's coming in the next is glory, and glory beyond our capacity to even fathom. So glorious that the deepest pain of this life will not even be remembered. God will wipe all tears from their eyes. There is a glory coming that is so glorious it outshines any darkness. May we cling to that truth in and through this time. What God is bringing us through is not an oops. It is not a mistake. God the Father does not go on vacation. He does not turn his eyes away from us. He does not get distracted on his device playing Candy Crush when he should be running the universe. God the Father is in heaven and all things uh, go according to his perfect will. What an amazing truth. What a comforting truth for those of us who know him. Glory is coming. 
What is our response this morning? Everything happens under the gracious sovereignty of God, which means everything, everything, everything has purpose in the perfect plan of God. I believe this. I have seen it in my own life. Paul is calling us to this. Do not major on the minors. When we focus on our circumstances and situation, we are, we are drawn towards complaining, murmuring, and griping. When we focus on the God who brought the situation into our lives, we are compelled towards thanksgiving. I cannot stand up here this morning and give you an answer of why COVID came and why it's lasted this long. I don't know, but I do know this. There is a reason behind it. God has brought this for his purposes. His purposes will come to pass. And his main goal in your life, if you are his, is to make you more like Jesus. More righteous, more holy, more compassionate, more gentle, more kind, more forgiving, more glorious. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your love for us, your kindness to us. There is so much about this life that we do not understand. We don't even know how we should pray. Father, as we are stuck in this messy middle, as we might say, between being declared righteous and then being actually made righteous fully, we struggle. Father, there's a lot going on in our world. Our, our, our world is groaning in birth pangs, labor pains. But Father, there is hope of life to come. We groan because we know that there is better. We know that there is a better version of us. And we know that there is a better version of the world coming. And we see it more starkly as the days go on. We see those around us who are trapped in darkness, looking to all these false gods for utopia, for peace, for comfort, for answers. None of them are God, so therefore they are all lies. They will always fail. Father, help us to know the one true God, you, and rejoice in that. You do not take away the storms, no, Father. In fact, you lead us and guide us into them, but the difference is you are with us in them. You have a purpose in them. There is meaning and significance in all things because all things come from your hand. You are always at work making us more like Jesus Christ. That process is painful. It is confusing. It is frustrating. The Father is glorious. Thank you for this passage that Paul pours out to us to let us know that the glory that awaits us is so infinitesimally larger and more glorious than the deepest darkness of this life. And as he closes this thought, he lets us know that our glorification is as solid, as real, even though it has not yet happened in time, as our justification, our calling, our predestining to conformity to Christ and our for loving by you. Father, all of these things are true because they are in you and you are true. So Father, help us to live in light of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.